welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. It's great to be back here in Adelaide or Radelaide as most people like to call it who live here. I was born and raised in this great city out somewhere. I don't even know where, where we are right now. I grew up in Valley View. Anyone from Valley View? Yes. I went to a primary school out in Ingle Farm that I don't even think exists anymore. Probably not. Ingle Farm East Primary School, is it still there? No. It's just way gone. Way gone. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, it is morning, I think. Somewhere in America, it's not morning. My kids have probably just had lunch and stuff at the moment. So, hi, Tony. Good shot. All right. Thank you. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you. We had a great day with some of the, the uh, worship team yesterday. And, you know, we just met with God. And really, that's my prayer this morning is beyond anything else, beyond the words that you might hear through this microphone or this PA this morning, that you would hear the voice of God speaking at your situation. And I'm believing that, you know, we're all going to walk out of here different this morning. That it's not just me raving on up here, it's God speaking to your heart and into your situation. So come on, why don't we just bow our heads and pray before we get into it this morning. Father, we just, we're so honored that we're able to live in a, in, in a country where we're able to come and worship you so freely and hear your voice, God, and we don't take that for granted. And this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would come and speak life into every situation, that you would bring hope into every heart, God, that you would bring healing to everybody that needs it this morning. God, you would bring salvation into the hearts of unbelievers in this place this morning, Lord, that your name would be glorified and lifted up in this place. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And the church shouted, that's good, it's good. Well, you know, I've loved this meeting so far this morning because I feel like what God's given me to share is is totally going to flow on from what Pastor Tony shared when he was up here and also Morgan's testimony. You know, there was this great... I guess thought that came through in that testimony that God doesn't do things by chance. Things don't happen by chance in our lives. God actually sets up for things to happen in our lives. And sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we're not even sure what it is that God is doing. But the journey of faith is about us taking that step, even when we're not even sure that we're going to have something to step on. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for 14 years and, uh, how did we go with that photo, by the way? Oh, that's my beautiful family who aren't here with me today, but that's my wife, Alex, and my daughter, Holly, my son, Taylor. And uh, my daughter, we've been living in the U.S. for about seven months now. And uh, aside from saying y'all everywhere, we, we live in a place called Nashville, Tennessee. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nashville. It's the home of country music, which is just so ironic that God would lead us there because me and country music just don't kind of gel at all. It's like uh, much to my mum's disappointment, but it's also the home of a lot of the Christian uh, music labels and a lot of artists live there. But you know, my, my kids have just started in school not long ago and my daughter, who is nine, already, I mean, you, you wouldn't even tell that she was born in Australia because she's like, I know, right? I know, right? Like, I, I, Dad, I just can't believe it. I'm like, kid, listen to me. We've been here like six months and you're already speaking American. It's just not fair. But it's a funny place and they have words like y'all, um, which is short for you all. 
but it's Y apostrophe A double L. And I, I've learned another word since I've been in Nashville. It's an extension of the word y'all. It's a word that I never knew was actually possible from a grammatic sense because it has two apostrophes. It's y'alls. Y apostrophe A double L apostrophe S. It means like, you know, something that belongs to you or something that's, that's yours. Like, what's y'all's address? It's like, sorry, what's my, what's y'all's address? Where do you live? What's y'all's address? So anyway, Nashville's a pretty interesting place. But, you know, like I said, God doesn't do things by chance. You know, if you'd asked me a few years ago if I thought that we'd be living in Nashville, Tennessee, I would have said, there's no hope in God's green earth that we'll be living there. But when God speaks, I've learned it's better just to step out and trust that God's going to put something out in front of us to step on. And that's going to be more solid than anything that I can see around me. And so we've been living there seven months now. And, and to be honest, we weren't even sure what we we're going to. But the impact that we've been able to have in people's lives in this last seven months and the, and the need for a move of God in a place that is, is incredible in that everyone is born thinking that they're already a Christian. In the South, in the States, you know, Christian is, is it's pretty much your race. It's like, well, I'm a Christian. I was born, I can live like Satan himself, but you know, I was born here, so I'm a Christian. And so it's very hard to kind of go and engage in worship with people who already think everything's okay. So we're praying that God is going to pour out his spirit in Nashville like he's never seen before. And out of that, see some incredible songs just flow out throughout the church and all that sort of stuff. So anyhow, we're, uh, it's great to be back in Adelaide this morning. And if you've got your Bible, hopefully you've got your Bible. Anyone got a Bible? About three of you, that's great. We're, uh, we're going to turn to the Word in a minute. But, you know, I want to speak about praise this morning. Now, uh, I, I speak about this with a lot of musicians and a lot of musicians get confused in that they think praise is a style of music. That praise is kind of, you know, it's generally, you know, in a tempo bracket that's maybe from about like 110 through to, you know, 160 something, if you can jump that fast. And quite often it's in the key of B because that sounds the best on the guitar. And, you know, it's usually got to be something that you can kind of jump to or bounce to or lift your hands to, you know. That's what we think praise is. You know, we walk into church and that's the fast songs that happen at the start of church. When I started going to a, 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 a Pentecostal church here in Adelaide, I, I used to walk in and, and see, you know, people doing all these crazy, you know, kind of dance moves and all that sort of stuff. You know what, I don't know if you've, if you've realized this, but it's funny how in the church, sometimes we kind of make up our own words for stuff, you know, like, you know, like, like fellowship. You know, in the world, it's kind of like you ring up your friends and you say, hey, let's go hang out. And in the church, we ring up our friends and say, hey, let's have some fellowship. We kind of have like these little, and I mean, it's biblical and all that, but, you know, sometimes I think there's a bit of a disconnect. And so when I would come to church, I would see kind of people doing these crazy dances and stuff. And the funny thing was, if church, sorry, if it started at 10, you know, only about half the building would be full. And then about 10, 15, 10, 20, the rest of the building would begin to fill up. And I, what, I, what I figured in my mind was, well, that first part, that was kind of optional. You know, that was where all the, all the people who, who, who didn't have time to exercise during the week, well, they would come and do this thing that in the church they call praise, but in the world they call aerobics. 
And so praise was really the Christian word for aerobics. So people would come and they'd do these little dances and they'd, you know, hop up and down and, you know, most of them not in time. And then after that was all done, they were all like, you know, a little hot and sweaty and stuff. So we went into another thing that at the gym you would call cool down or warm down. In church we call it worship. You lift your hands and you allow that beautiful aroma just to, to minister to those around you. And, and that's what I kind of thought praise and worship were. But you know what I've dis- discovered, friends? Praise is nothing to do with a style of music. Praise is nothing to do with music at all. We, we might outwork our praise through music. But when we sing these songs of praise, they should be an overflow of what is already going on in our worlds. A declaration of the truth that we're living out every day. That our God, He is greater and we understand that. That our God is higher and that we understand that. That we live in the reality of that. See, praise is one of the most powerful things that you can establish in your life. And I I just want to read a a little bit of text this morning from Acts 16. It's a great story. It's not a story, a great situation that happens. Paul and Silas. Acts 16, verse 16, it says this. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And just before I read on, I want you to... Don't just hear these words. Just, just let the story play out, all right? Just, just let this turn into a little cinematic experience in your mind right now, okay? She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Now picture yourself. You just walking down the street, maybe you're just walking down the run, you know, down Rundle Mall by the mall's bowls, and uh, and some girl walks up behind you and just starts shouting, "These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most." I mean, it's irritating. Like after three goes, I mean, imagine she keeps this up for day after day after day. I mean. Paul and Silas, I got to hand it to them. My wife says this thing to me, you know, I, I, I used to get a little bit frustrated in airports with all our gear getting busted all the time, flying with the, the big Q. I'm not going to say who they are, but the big Q. And uh, my wife would say this thing to me. She'd say, fruits of the spirit, honey. And I'd be like, no. Paul and Silas put up this with this for days of this young girl. These men are servants of the Most High God. And finally, it says Paul turns so annoyed. I love that, that the Bible actually says Paul became so annoyed. I'm like, I don't feel so bad after all. That he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that that their hope of making money was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. I mean, give me a break, dramatic people. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. I mean, these guys are just going about their daily life. And next thing you know, they tell this girl to be quiet in Jesus' name and they're stripped and beaten. 
It says, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, just picture yourself here, okay? All this stuff has just transpired. That's completely unfair. They didn't do anything wrong. They were just minding their own business, going about their lives, and in comes the attack of the enemy. And before you know it, these guys are stripped and beaten, accused in front of a public auditorium, and thrown in jail. I don't know if that were you, but for me, I'd probably be sitting there feeling pretty sorry for myself. And this is what's so incredible about this. It says in verse 25, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, the fact that the other criminals in the jail cell weren't just ready to beat the living daylights out of these guys. It's midnight and they're singing and praising God in the midst of their nakedness and their whipping and their beating. They're bleeding. After they had been severely, sorry, they, uh, verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. You know, it's such an incredible passage because, like I said, these guys found themselves in a situation that didn't seem fair. But like Morgan's testimony showed us, it's no accident. Right? There's no accidents in life. God is not fearful. You might be fearful of the situation that you face right now. But friends, God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but he sure is not afraid of them. God is not fearful of whatever mountain or situation or giant that you may face right now. You might be fearful, but God is not. And see, praise, when we begin to praise God, when we begin to lift our eyes off of our situation, when we begin to make God higher than our situation, that's when our praise starts to take hold. See, because our praise has the opportunity, has the ability to break off the shackles and break us out of the prison cell. So often we begin to focus on the struggles and the trials that happen. Yet all the while God's saying, it's okay. It's okay. You may not understand what's going on right now, but you don't need to fear. Just trust me. Just trust me. Just begin to praise. See, this is what I love about Paul and Silas. They don't look for a plan. They don't look for a way out. They don't look for a plan. They look for his presence. In the midst of the darkest moment of their their day, the midnight hour, They don't look for a plan to escape. They don't look for a way to retaliate. They just look for his presence. And they begin singing, declaring over their atmosphere, declaring over that place, the presence of God. See, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a position where maybe stuff hasn't gone as as you hoped it would. Maybe it seems a little unfair. Maybe you spent a lot of time trying to Work out a plan to get out of that situation. Well, friend, let me encourage you this morning. Beyond all the great plans, there's something even higher. See, the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. Someone who seeks our God, someone who diligently seeks after Him, 
says the, the Word of God says that God will ordain their steps and walk them through the valley of the shadow of death. See, when you and I, when we begin to praise in these situations, all of a sudden we take our, our eyes off the pathway that we can't see before us. And we begin to walk trusting that the light that shines from our God is going to light the path in front of us. <clears throat> See, praise brings you to a place of encounter, which changes your situation. Paul and Silas overcame this situation with praise. See, it says as they began to praise that the very foundations of the prison cell began to shake. You know what the incredible thing is about praise, friends? Is that it's not always for you. Your praise is not always just about yourself. Your praise is not always just about you working a way to get through your own situation and hope that God is going to give you the best outcome. It's not always about that. See, God's grace is much bigger than your situation. God's grace is much bigger than your fears. It's much bigger than your trials. It's much bigger than the anxieties, the things that keep you up at night. God's grace is much bigger than that. See, God sees a plan that's beyond just your own little world. When Paul and Silas wound up in that jail cell, The plan wasn't for Paul and Silas. The plan was for freedom for those around. See, as the jail cell and its foundations begin to shake, it says the chains that held the prisoners captive began to shake off. You know, every situation that you walk through, that you praise your way out of, you know, you actually bring people into freedom along with you. You just begin to gather up people around you. You know, the Bible says that we overcome the enemy by the, word, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You know, it's one thing. That the, the, the blood of the Lamb is Jesus' part, but the, the testimony is our enduring. It's our praising through the trial, through the struggle. It's our ability to stand up and say, yeah, I had that adversity. I had that sickness. I had that situation come and face me, but I stood up in praise and declared the goodness of God. See, I, sh- I showed you a photo of my family that uh, my wife and I, we've been, been married for, it'll be 15 years in April, which is uh, just crazy. I can't believe we've been married that long. We got married when we were about seven, and uh, it's legal here in South Australia. No, I'm kidding. And uh, you know, like, like all young married couples, I guess you, you dream about having kids. It's so great to see actually Lee and Sarah's baby up there. I've known Sarah for like a million years, so I don't, probably not here today, but someone pass on congratulations to them from us. Thank you. But you know, we were a young married couple, and I guess when you're a teenager, you think that you know, you're going to find the right person, and then you're going to get married, and then you know, stuff's going to happen, and then you have babies, right? You just... Not going to go into details, but that's what you just think is going to happen, right? So my wife and I, we'd been married for for a little while, and you know, anyway, and and we realized that we weren't actually getting pregnant, and this was, I guess, two or three years into our marriage, and so my wife went off to the doctor, and uh, while she was there visiting her doctor, whose name was Doctor Needle, by the way, beautiful lady, but uh, I guess it was destiny, and she's she's with this this great lady. It's a great doctor, and goes in and sees her, and, and, the, and the doctor does all these tests to work out why Alex can't get pregnant, and 
eventually comes back to her and says, well, I'm, I'm really sorry to tell you this, honey, but you, you've got a, a condition called hyperprolactinemia, which is a tiny little microscopic tumor on the base of her pituitary gland that was stopping her body from, uh, from getting pregnant. And you know, as Alex sat there hearing this news from the doctor, the, the, the doctor said this to her. She said, look, there's, there's two things that we can suggest to you. Number one, you can go on basically a mild form of chemotherapy that will shrink the tumor. But if you do that, there's no guarantee that the tumor won't come back. And if you do conceive while you're taking this medication, there's about a 98% chance that the strength of this, this drug will actually kill the baby before you even realize that you're pregnant. So we kind of don't recommend that you do that. The second option that she gave us was this. She said... What I suggest you do is go home and sit down with your husband and make a decision that you will never talk about having children again. That was the best that this world could offer us as a married couple. And I remember my wife walking through the door of our home in Highbury in Dean Road. We lived in, in Dean Road for about a year. She walked in the door and I could see that she'd been crying and she began to tell me what the doctors had said. And, you know, we sat there crying. I never forget sitting at the kitchen table with her just crying. Just going, God, we thought that you'd spoken to us. We, we thought, see, we'd had dreams of having a young man that we would grow up as a champion for the faith. A young woman who would grow up to be a, a mighty woman of God. We'd had dreams. We'd seen in our hearts this vision of our kids. We'd had promises. People had prophesied over us that we would have two kids, that we'd have a girl and a boy. And, and all these things began to come flooding back. And all of a sudden, we began to question God and say, well, God, did you really say that? And all of a sudden, as we sat at the kitchen table, I looked at Alex and I said, honey, this is not, it's not right. It might be the way that it seems but it's not truth. It might be reality, but it's not truth. It might be the reality of our situation right now, but it's not truth. It might be what's happening in the natural, but we've got the opportunity to appeal above the natural, to take it to the super, the natural, the above the natural realm to our God. So you know, our agreements, what, what we do when we praise, we are, we're agreeing with God's purpose and plan for our lives. We're actually coming into agreement with the attributes of who God is. So when you, when you get a bad diagnosis or when you get a bad result about something, if, if you've got two options. You can, you can actually agree in yourself and, and agree with defeat, or you can agree with a God who can overcome defeat. Okay, you can agree with a higher power beyond your situation. And so we decided that rather than making an agreement with what the world's wisdom would say, that we would make an agreement with what heaven's wisdom would say. And that we'd begin to praise God and we'd begin to press in in faith. Now, I'd love to say that like a week later, you know, the tumor was gone and it was all good. And, ah, it wasn't like that. It wasn't, wasn't like that. You know, you know how it was? It, it was like this. Brrr, alarm. Turn off the alarm. Wake up. Ah, oh, that tumor. Thank you, God. I praise you that even though I don't feel like it right now, even though I can't see how this is going to happen, God, I, I'm just, 
I know that you are good. I know that you're higher than this situation, God, and I I don't want to get bogged down looking at it. I just want to lift my eyes and see you and your goodness, and I'm I'm just going to trust you. I can't see how it's going to work, but I'm just going to trust you. Step. Next day. Oh, God. I felt so much better after I prayed yesterday, God, but it's still there. The situation's still there, God. But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to get defeated. I'm just, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to read your word and see how time and time and time again you came through for those who reached out to you, God. You, you came through that Jesus, every person that ever met with you down the street, or they walked away changed, they walked away healed, they walked away different because they'd experienced you. So Jesus, come into my world right now and change us. All right, it lifts. Next day. Next day. Next day. Next day. All right, it's still there, but it's, see, when our, when our journey started out, this tumor that was microscopic to the, to the doctors, that tumor might as well have been as big as this room. Might as well have been as big as this city. It might as well have been as, as big as a mountain because to us, it seemed impossible even though the tumor was microscopic to the human eye. See, friends, that's the way that we've got to view our challenges, that they might seem like giants to us. But as God looks down from heaven, as God stands with you next to you in your situation, they're but a microscopic pip on your existence. It's us getting out of the way and saying, God, this is yours. You know, for the next two and a half years, we walked this journey. But we made a decision that we were never once going to talk about how we couldn't have children. But we were going to begin to reverse those words and declare over our atmosphere to the point where people actually thought we were a little crazy. Because, you know, we'd be like, you know, we've always traveled a lot, I guess. And, and, uh, and, and we'd be just begin to talk about what it was going to be like at the airport, you know, trying to check in at the airport. And, you know, there's like a million guitar cases and pedal boards and suitcases. And, you know, like there's kids and, you know, like, where is he? I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. Oh, oh, ah, you know, and then like there's some kid on the carousel going around and around and around. And, you know, you get on the plane. I don't know if you've ever flown from like Melbourne to LA. Has anyone done the LA flight before? All right. And you'll be able to testify to this because... There's an incredible thing that happens on the plane with babies. They might be sleeping, they might be calm as day, but there's this little gut sense inside of them that when they just hear that, and that front door closes, there's something in a, in a baby's intuition that says, I'm not safe. I'm about to be cruising at 38,000 feet, and that's not a good enough thing to be doing right now. And so that little baby's like... And then like pretty much for the next 14 and a half hours, that's what happens until touchdown on the baby and falls asleep. I mean, it happens every single time. You know, there'll be like babies on the plane and, you know, they poop everywhere. And then, you know, the parent doesn't have a diaper and I mean, a a nappy, sorry. And uh, we've had the same thing happen. But you know what I, I decided? It was better to be the parent on the plane with the stinky baby than be the person on the plane wishing that they'd had a miracle. 
I don't care if my miracle is going to be a little bit smelly to people around me. I don't care if it's going to irritate people on the plane. I don't really care because I've got my miracle. See, I knew it was worth pressing in for. So we began to talk about what life was going to be like walking through airports and sleepless nights and all that sort of stuff. Until one day my wife stood at the altar in a worship time. The Holy Spirit said, daughter, you're healed. A month later, we found out we were pregnant. And that was Holly. Nine months, I mean, sorry, nine years of age. Nine years ago, we had our first miracle. And people said, oh, you got lucky. You know, it was just a fluke. It was just... See, here's the crazy thing. You know what we did? We, we figured, well, if the world says that we can't have children, we're going to describe exactly who we're going to have. We're not going to leave it to chance. There is no chance. So we began to pray, God, we want them to have the most beautiful curly hair, which was possible because I have curly hair. My wife has curly hair. All right, that's not too hard. All right, so we're going to pray that they have the most striking blue eyes that you can imagine. That was a little more of a challenge because I have green eyes and my wife has brown eyes, so they shouldn't probably have blue eyes. So when they were born, people were like, oh, they'll change. You know, they're not going to be like... No, actually, they are going to be blue, and they're going to be so striking that they're going to stop people in their tracks when we're walking down the mall so we can actually testify, tell of the good, goodness of God, the miracle of God. You know what happens when our kids are born? We walk through with a, in the stroller through, you know, Tea Tree Plaza or wherever we were when we were in Melbourne through Doncaster, and people would stop mesmerized by the eyes of our children. Now, we would have been happy to take, you know, a, children, a child with brown eyes, green eyes, whatever, but we believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that God would give us a testimony. You know, an incredible thing happened. After we, had, after we found out we were pregnant with Holly, there was a, a couple in our church at the time who hadn't really told anyone, but they'd been struggling to have kids for many years. And they had been so discouraged that they'd actually given up. And they came to us in tears when they found out that, we were pregnant. And they said, you know what? The thing is that's impacted us so much is that we never once heard you say if. We only ever heard you say when. And we know that even if you'd never had kids, you would have hung on to that promise till the day you died because you trusted in God. You know, within about three months, that couple got pregnant and they have four kids now. See that? Miracle wasn't just for us. Sure, I am so blessed that we have our kids. But our praise in the darkest hour began to lift people out of their current circumstance, out of the bondage, out of the struggle, out of the prison that they felt they were locked into and began to change the environment in their worlds. So you can agree with the things that have been spoken against you, or you can agree with the things that have been declared over you. You can declare them over your life. You can declare, God, I know you're greater. I'm not saying that, you know, if you don't get your miracle, that you haven't had enough praise in your life, or that you haven't had enough faith. I'm not saying that at all. See, God does things in our lives that we don't always understand, but it's no reason not to trust Him. It's no reason not to believe that in the midst of the craziness, that God will still do a miracle. See, our praise lifts us out of the dark place, lifts us out of the craziness that we face. One of my favorite, favorite passages 
in the Bible. So, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a man in the Bible that we obviously would all know of, King David. And I love the Psalms. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, if any of you are like I am, probably not. I'm a, a little crazy sometimes. But so when I read the Bible, it's kind of, I, I'm, not, I'm not really great with textbooks. Let's just say that, all right? In, when I was in year 11, my chemistry textbook, the best thing that ever happened to it was I sat it under a, a, uh, a little beaker that we put too much acid and something else in, and the, the beaker just like, <laughs> out the bottom, and there was this perfect circle right through the middle of my chemistry textbook, which I thought was the most amazing thing in that entire textbook, there was about 500 pages, was this perfect hole that happened from the acid that burnt through it. I mean, that was, that's, that's, a text, that's what a textbook is good for, for me, all right? Tell me the story. Show me the movie. Play it out in pictures. Write me a song. Man, I will remember that thing till the day I die. Give me a textbook. I just, it might as well be in some language that I've never heard of. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. So when I read the Bible, it kind of plays out like a bit of a story, a bit of a cinematic experience. But Psalms to me is a little bit different. Even though it's graphic, Psalms is, is, is a little more like, you know, I have a, a younger sister. Dawn, are you here? She says, hello, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you for a long time. I'll see you after. Well, I never did this to my younger sister. <clears throat> but um, I'm sure no, no other guy has ever done this to his younger sister either. But, you know, sometimes younger sisters, they have like, you know, the little journal kind of thing. And it's got like the little key and the little lock and the little... Because that key, I mean, man, that's, that's just going to like... That's going to keep a lot of people out, that key. That, that little thing that's just like, fum, fum, fum. That's, I mean, it's ingenious. Might as well be a fingerprint. It's like incredible. It's a little diary and, you know, and in there it's like, it's not fair. He doesn't talk to me. He writes notes to my friends, but he doesn't look at me. Oh, it's not fair. I'm never going to get married. He doesn't love me. And they're like, you know, eight years old or something. And... Psalms is kind of a little bit like that. It's like you've walked past King David's bedroom and he's, you know, he's just happened to leave out his, his diary open for us to just kind of get a glimpse into his well. Because, see, see, the thing about David is it shows you how incredible his understanding of God is. I mean, David says some things to God that, honestly, I'd be a little nervous to say. I mean, he, he, he pours some things out to God and almost accusations as he plays out the truth of his situation. But here's the thing about David. He never ends with a question. He ends with a declaration. and says, God, even though I don't understand what's going on right now, yet will I praise you. Even though I don't understand why this king wants to kill me, I'm still going to praise you because I've got the experience of the past to fall back on. See, I know that I've had an encounter with you. I know that I've seen you do these great and mighty things. And so Psalm 63, I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to give you the first bit of it. Before you even start Psalm 63, there's a title above it. It says, written when David was in the desert of Judah. I don't know if you know what Judah represents in the Bible, but Judah represents praise. It was literally written in a place where his praise was in a desert, a dry place, a dry praise, a place where David found it hard both physically and spiritually to praise. See, 
when David wrote this, he was hiding in a cave, running for his life from King Saul, who had been his mentor, who had been his leader, who had been the one who had given him his opportunity, who had been the one who had welcomed him into the king's domain. Yet the king's jealousy of the gift and the touch of God upon this young man's life turned to hatred. And he tried to track David down and kill him. Not only was David there, but it says there were over 600 men who were like the misfits, the ones who were disgruntled with the king. And they came to David to try and coax him into an uprising against the king. So not only is David concerned about his own welfare, but he's concerned about the welfare of 600 other men. He's hearing their complaints. He's hearing their accusations against the king. He's hearing all this stuff. But rather than David being immersed and lowered into the trash that was being talked around him, David pens this psalm, Psalm 63. And it starts off and it says this, God, you alone are my God, and earnestly I will seek you in a dry and weary land where there is no rain. David acknowledges that his circumstance is hard. But he acknowledges that in the midst of that, his God is greater. His God is the one who is able to rain down his presence upon that dry land, upon that dry praise. If only he'll just reach out the praise, then God will meet him with the rain, with the refreshing heaven rain. This morning, I don't know what you're facing. I pray that for most of you, You're living an incredible moment in life right now. But I know that for many of us, there are things that are a struggle. There are things that we face right now that we just simply don't understand why God is doing them. When God spoke to Alex and I about two and a half years ago about moving to America, we just were like, uh, Satan, get thee behind me. All right, America's a great place, but why would you want to leave Australia? Why Why would we want to leave our church in Melbourne, that we've seen God grow from, from nothing to over 9,000 people in eight years and been such a, a vital part of that. Why would we want to leave that? Why would we want to leave the presence of God that we feel every week on a Sunday in our church? Why would we want to leave that? No thanks, God. Yet God begins to speak to the point where, fast forward two and a half years later, we're living in, we move to Nashville. We don't even know why we're there. Yet we understand in the midst of a situation that we don't completely understand. As we trust God, we step out in faith that God is going to open the doors that he needs to do. You know, in the last three weeks, we've probably seen more incredible things happen than we have in a very, very long time. Because we, even though it seemed crazy to everyone else around us, everyone was like, you've got to be kidding, right? Why? Why would you do that? It doesn't even make sense. Yet all we needed was the voice of the Holy Spirit and enough faith to step up and say, well, you know what? It might seem crazy, but we believe that God's in it. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.